You can open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and we'll be starting at the beginning. How about that? The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. And this is the unveiling of the end times, the things that will happen in the last days. We get insights from Revelation, also from other prophetic books, into what things will look like at the end of this age that we're living in. This is so important for us to be paying attention to, and especially so since we are living in the last days. The time from Jesus' ascension uh, to his second coming, that is the time that we're living in. And the book of Revelation tells us the things which will wrap up this current age. So as we grow closer and closer to the day that we meet God face to face, we need to be paying more and more attention to what this book has to tell us. So why should we even study Revelation? There are several reasons, and Revelation is such a vital book for us to study and for us to understand. And it's not veiled. It literally means the unveiling. It's a book that can be understood. And we need to get the notion out of our minds that this is a closed book, that we can't understand what's going on here, because we most certainly can. The first reason we would study Revelation is because it gives us a picture of Jesus as he is today. The Gospels presented him as a man who was well acquainted with sorrow and suffering. But Revelation presents Jesus in his true glory and his majesty after his resurrection. He will never again be trampled underfoot or reviled, but he is always the lamb that was slain. This is true but he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in Revelation, we see him coming back in glory and majesty. And what a beautiful display this will be. Second point, why should we study Revelation? Revelation assures us that in Christ, we are the ultimate victors. And that is exciting. We're the ultimate winners of the game of life as Christians. It's the dramatic climax of God's plan for the human race, and it's essential for Christians to have an understanding of revelation if they want to have a comprehensive view of the scripture. Because everything we've seen in this narrative um, of Jesus, of creation, of the fall of man, everything in scripture culminates in this point. This is when everything is set right. Number three, there is actually a special blessing promised to those who read this book. We find this promise in chapter 1, verse 3, which we'll look at this morning. And no doubt, we are blessed when we read any scripture. But Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises blessings to those who hear and keep it specifically. So there is a special blessing promised to those who read and hear 
and keep the book of Revelation. Our last point for why we should study Genesis this morning is Genesis, not Genesis, Revelation. I've got Genesis in my notes here. We'll talk about Genesis too. Why we should study Revelation? Well, Genesis is the place where the foundation of Scripture is poured. And Revelation is where we see the final piece of architecture that's being built up to this point. It's the unveiling. Michelangelo's statue of David worked on it for a long time. Eventually, it was unveiled, and the final piece could be seen. And that's what we have in the book of Revelation. The entire redemptive narrative ends with God and sinners in a right relationship with each other. And what a blessed expectation this is for us. So let's take a look at some of the truths that begun in Genesis and are come to fruition in the book of Revelation. And I'm paraphrasing this from Tim LaHaye's Revelation Unveiled. Um, it's a good book on the subject. In Genesis, we see that it records humanity's creation in the beautiful paradise of Eden. Revelation shows us the beautiful paradise in store for believers. In Genesis, it shows us how human beings lost access to the tree of life. Genesis three twenty-two through 24. Revelation shows us that we will eat of that tree again. Revelation 22, 2. And this will all be in the tape for you to go back and listen to. I know it's hard to keep up. Genesis records mankind's first rebellion against God. Genesis 3 and 4. Revelation promises an end to that rebellion. Genesis records the first murderer, drunkard, and rebel. Revelation speaks of a city where nothing impure will ever enter it. Revelation 21:27. Genesis shows the tragic sorrow that resulted from sin, brought about in Genesis 3 and 4. Revelation promises that God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Revelation 21.4. Genesis records the first death. Genesis 4.8. Revelation promises that there will be no more death. Revelation 21.4. Genesis shows the curse applied. Genesis 3.15 and 18. Revelation shows the final doom of Satan. Genesis shows Satan's first attempt at discrediting the word of God when he asked Eve, did God really say? And his first attempt at denying the word of God, you will not surely die. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Revelation promises a curse on anyone who detracts from God's word. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Revelation twenty two nineteen. I know that was a lot to take in. The point is, Genesis opens many themes in Scripture. Ken Ham argues that Genesis opens every theme in Scripture. You can trace every theme found in Scripture back to Genesis. And now Revelation sums up everything in Scripture. And it truly is a shame that Revelation 
often gets skipped over in a study of the New Testament because it's so vital to our understanding of Jesus himself. Jesus is not just the slain lamb. He is also the lion. He will come with um, justice. The nature of prophetic writings can seem daunting, um, but it's my heart and my intention to show you that the book of Revelation is not shrouded in mystery, but it can be understood. And, of course, there are still mysteries, but more and more as we reach the end, things become more plain. About a hundred years ago, Cyrus Schofield, the author of the Schofield Reference Bible, in his notes on Revelation, wrote, Doubtless, much of what is designedly obscure to us will be clear to those for whom it was written as the time approaches. Interesting that he would make that connection. Because yes, there are things we know today about the book of Revelation that were more shrouded in mystery a hundred years ago. Things are becoming more and more clear. Today, these things are clearer than they've ever been. And I can say with absolute certainty that we are closer to the rapture today than we ever have been before. As we break into this study of Revelation, we can look to Revelation 1 verse 19 as our guide. It's going to guide us through the outline of this entire book. Jesus is speaking to John. He says, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This verse breaks up the timeline of the book into three major sections. The first section is what you have seen. And this encapsulates the first chapter. The second section is what is now. That's chapters 2 and 3. And then the bulk of the book is talking about prophecy. It's prophesying future events that we have not seen take place yet. This third section, what will take place later? Chapters 4 all the way through chapter 22. So one, what you have seen. Two, what is now. Three, what will take place later. And we will see those unfold as we go through this book. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. You'll see some Bibles call this book the revelation of the Apostle John. And John does write it, but it is really Jesus' revelation. And this first verse gives it away. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, 
does it mean the revelation for Jesus Christ or does it mean the revelation from Jesus Christ? Well, it's really both. We see that God gives this revelation to Jesus so that Jesus can give it to John. Well, first goes through the messenger or the angel. The angel gives it to John. John writes it down and passes it to the church. And that's where we get this. And Jesus entrusted the apostle John to get this message out, to write it down. And it's funny that he didn't give it to Paul because we see, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, Paul records his time in the third heaven. And he just says, well, I'm not going to write any of it down because there's no words that could express it. I think it's funny that God didn't choose Paul to give the, rela- the revelation to. Because maybe he wouldn't have even written it down. But we see that uh, Jesus chose John to be the bearer of this unveiling, this apocalypsis. And John did a great job. Because here we are this morning, um, getting into a study of this revelation. Which God gave him to show his servants. Things which must shortly take place. He says to show his servants. And the most important question you can ask yourself this morning is, am I his servant? It's the most important question you'll you'll encounter this morning. And if not, you should be. Plain and simple. And if you are, this unveiling was given to Jesus for you. We hear the word apocalypse and we think of some cataclysmic event to destroy or end the world but that's not the truest sense of the word it really speaks of this unveiling that we've been talking about and to the believer that's exactly what this is it's an unveiling it's not a cataclysmic event because at this unveiling at the culmination of all of these things We are with God. We are reunited with our creator in glory. That's not a cataclysm. That is a good thing. But if you cannot say that you are a servant of Jesus Christ, this is a cataclysmic event. These events that are recorded in Revelation are cataclysmic. And an apocalypse, as we would think of it. And I know one thing for certain, and that is that I want to be on the right side of these events. Um, I want to be on the right side of this when it all goes down. And to be honest, I want to be watching the show from the mezzanine deck. I don't want to be on ground level. Things which must shortly take place. Shortly is translated from the Greek takos. And this is where we get the prefix tacky. And this is not to be confused with dressing obnoxiously. Not that kind of tacky. T-A-C-H-Y. And the prefix tacky means rapid. Tachycardia is the elevation of your resting heart rate above its normal levels. And a tachometer can measure acceleration. That's what we have in our cars Uh, that reads the RPMs, revolutions per minute, 
it measures acceleration. And that's the sense of the word tachos that we have here in scripture. Once things start to unfold, they will follow in rapid succession. It'll be like a snowball effect through all of these events. Uh, They are quick to finish once they start. Um, And it is interesting, and I'll throw this in there because it could be confusing, but the church has always, throughout history, lived with the expectation of an imminent return of Jesus Christ. At any moment, uh, he could take his church. And that is the way the church has lived. Paul recommended that people not marry because Jesus was coming soon. He had this imminent expectation. And by the way, it's good that not everyone listened to him or else we wouldn't be here. That was supposed to be funny. Come on. (laughs) So once things start to unfold, they will follow in rapid succession. They will wrap up quickly. And in fact, Jesus said that unless those days of tribulation were shortened, there would be no flesh left on the earth. But for the elect's sake, and I believe this is referring to those coming to salvation during the tribulation, he will shorten those days. And he sent and signified it by his angel. So Jesus entrusted his agent, a messenger or translated angel, to deliver this revelation to John. Signified. He sent and signified it by his angel. Some well-meaning Christians take this word signified to mean that God communicated his revelation through signs or symbols. And of course, there are symbols in the book of Revelation, but God calls them out as such. You can see Revelation 12.1, uh, Revelation 12.3, and Revelation 15.1. It is all explicitly talked about as symbols. There are signs. However, to say that Revelation is a book of signs and symbols is to suggest that the events explained cannot be taken literally. Um, But there is far more in this book that can and should be taken literally than should be spiritualized. So we need to be aware of that as we dive into it. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. We know that the Apostle John wrote this book, and that is well recorded in church history. The Apostle John took over the pastoral work in Ephesus around 70 AD, and he also oversaw many churches in the area, including the seven churches that are written to later in Revelation. Nero became emperor of the Roman Empire in AD 54, and he was crazy. He ruled harshly until his death in AD 68, and he's known for his extremely harsh persecution of Christians. And he would even uh, dip them in wax or oil and set them on fire to light his garden. He would ride through them on his chariot naked, yelling, 
oh, you're the light of the world now. So evil guy, uh, straight up evil. And we know as a young boy, about nine years old, um, Nero's mother gave him uh, poison to give his father. Now, whether Nero knew it or not, he took that to his dad, poisoned him, and his father dropped dead in front of him. Nine years old, this little boy, dealing with all of this. As he came into his young teenage years, he killed at least three wives, personally, and just a miserable guy. At the, A little bit later, I think it was 19, he killed his mother. And then at early 30s, he took a knife and he slit his own throat. He was dangerous and a maniacal leader. And this is Nero. But after a few years and a few more successors, none of which lasted very long, the throne was taken by Domitian in AD 81, who actually ramped up the persecution that was started by Nero. Domitian figured out that John was in Ephesus at that church, and he decided to make an example out of him to other Christians. So he takes John captive, and he consults with his cohorts about how to make his death a little more painful than the usual beheading or any, a number of ways they would kill people then. Um, one of his cohorts suggested that he boil a pot of oil and dip John into it. He thought that was a great idea. So he gathered a crowd, struck up a boiling pot of oil, and began to lower John into this vat. Tradition has it, and Tertullian writes this for us, that as John was being lowered into the boiling oil, uh, he rose his hands and he began to pray. As he was being lowered further and further, the crowd realized that the oil was not affecting him. He was unscathed by the oil. About this time, when the crowd started calming down a little bit, he started singing praises. And he was pulled out of the oil unscathed. But Domitian didn't like that. Domitian was embarrassed by this display, as we would expect. And so what does he do? Well, if you can't kill him, he'll exile him. He'll get him out of there. So this is the time when Domitian exiled John to the island of Patmos. And on this island of Patmos is when John receives the revelation. John is the last remaining apostle of Christ at the time he wrote Revelation. And that would be about A.D. 95. And this would be at the very end of John's life. And this makes the book of Revelation quite a fitting close to the 66 books which God has given mankind. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of this apostle John. So we have one degree of separation between Irenaeus and John. Irenaeus told us uh, in his writings that the revelation 
was written at the end of Domitian's reign. We know that Domitian was murdered in AD 96. So the date of AD 95 for the writing of Revelation is very certain, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, But preterists tried to push the date of writing to AD 64, much earlier, about 30 years earlier, to claim that the prophecies in the book of Revelation were fulfilled in AD 70 at the destruction of Jerusalem. And this whole twisting of the date is used to accomplish um, the nullification of the millennium. These preterists don't believe that the millennium will actually take place on earth. Um, And there has to be a bunch of mental gymnastics to make this date work. Um, It's not supported scripturally or historically. Um, So I am personally very confident in the AD 95 date for the writing of Revelation. If you look at verse 8, you'll see Jesus say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit purposed in John's heart to write his gospel in view of Jesus, the eternal Son of God. So John, when he was writing his gospel, puts a heavy emphasis on Jesus as the Son of God. He even opens his gospel talking about the eternality of Christ. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In the very beginning, Jesus was. Jesus said, I am the beginning. And now, Christ gives John this revelation of the end. I am the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. In his first epistle, John wrote, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. John is pulling on experience. He's not pulling what he's writing out of thin air. The epistles tell us how Jesus refers to the church, but through human authors. So the scripture is inerrant and inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he uses human authors. In the book of Revelation, we get Jesus' direct words to the church, and that's something special, and we'll look at it more in a little bit. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And as I mentioned before, this is the only book of the Bible that ascribes a special blessing to the one who reads it, hears it, and keeps it. In the early church, the scripture wasn't printed and widely circulated like it is today but they would have one person reading this handwritten letter and the congregation would be hearing it. 
And that's where this language comes from. And that's why the singular is used in he who reads, because there would be one person reading the scripture, and the plural is used for those who hear. There would be many listening to the reading of the scripture. And in scripture, the word blessed is akin to happy. So this morning, and all throughout our study through Revelation, we have a promise that we will be happy or blessed as we dive into this book. And what a blessing it is to dive into things that are to come, and especially the things that Jesus has to say to the churches. And that's pretty exciting. I cannot wait to see how God chooses to reveal himself through this study. I truly am very excited to get into Revelation. Um, But we need to be careful that we don't skip the second clause in verse 3. It says, and keep those things which are written in it. So it's not, not promising blessings to those who only hear it or only read it, but the construct is those who hear it or read it and keep it. That is who receives this blessing. Revelation is not a book to be simply studied with idle curiosity, but we should be applying it in our lives. Keeping those things is simply meaning obeying and practicing what you read. And we often get caught up in mere study and speculation especially in this part of the the scripture, and we forget to let this book into our hearts. We can dig out unimaginable riches from the first three chapters alone. In these chapters, we hear the words of Jesus to the church, and this is the only recorded scripture where Jesus addresses the church directly. Since this is the case, we had better listen to what he has to say. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Not that there were only seven churches in Asia. Um, And Asia here is referring not to what we would think of as modern-day Asia, but it's actually the region of modern-day Turkey so in that area. And that's where all of these churches that will be addressed are located to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, of course there weren't just seven churches in this area, but there is a totality associated with the number seven, and I'll explain that further. There are many layers of application that we will see unfold in these letters to the churches. And no doubt these sayings in these letters to the churches can be applied to the universal church, the whole congregation of believers. And this is in part indicated by the seven churches addressed, and the number seven indicating a totality. Throughout scripture, the number seven also seems to relate to God's covenant with men and especially the church. The seventh-day Sabbath rest after his creative work 
And we find this in Genesis 2-3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And then in Ezekiel 20:12, we read, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. We also see circumcision, the sign of God's covenant with Abraham, after seven days. On the eighth day, children were to be circumcised. This is found in Genesis 17:12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. So the sign of God's covenant with Abraham. The sacrifices when Hezekiah restored worship at the temple. Second Chronicles twenty nine twenty one reads, And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. And so they atoned for the sins of the nation. God's deliverance of the promised land. We see in Joshua 6, 4 and 5. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And, of course, this is when God was giving the Israelites Jericho um, as a part of that promised land. We see the feasts ordered by sevens of time. In Deuteronomy 15, 1, 16, 9, 13, and 15. Seven is also a combination of four and three. Three is representing the triune nature of God, the Trinity, and four represents the organized world. We have four seasons, four cardinal directions, four winds, four elements. Thus, the repetition of seven being the combination of God and the world is fitting. And it's fitting that this repetition of sevens occurs more times in Revelation than in any other part of the scripture. This book is about God uniting himself with his creation. And that is fascinating to me. I'll read the rest of verse 4, but we're going to dive into it a little more next week. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, a reference to the Trinity, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we have such nuggets that we can pull out of just those few verses. Um, and we'll get to that next week. But we're going to wrap our study up right there this morning. 
uh, just through the first three, almost four verses, and we'll come back together next week, um, expecting God to reveal something about himself. Let's close our study this morning in a word of prayer.